all four Gospels and the Christian life begins with baptism. In the Gospel of Luke, it's the baptism of Jesus, just like it is in the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and John. In Luke, which is the reading the Gospel for this Sunday, here's what it says from Luke chapter 3. The people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I'm baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. After all, the people had been baptized, and Jesus also had been baptized and was praying. Heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. The alert Christian, of course, will see the Trinity there, the Son, the Holy Spirit, and the Father's, and the Father's voice, all revealed in the baptism of the Lord. At the heart of it is what John says about Jesus and what Jesus brings into the world. John the Baptist says, I baptize you with water. And in fact, Jesus sends his disciples to baptize with water. In John's gospel, at the end of the third chapter, it says that Jesus and his disciples were baptizing on the Jordan River, back where John was baptizing. Although it said Jesus didn't baptize because Jesus sends his disciples to baptize. But Jesus himself baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and fire. And in this is the life of grace, the sacramental life. Remember that the three sacraments of initiation are baptism, confirmation, and Eucharist. Those are the words that we use in English in the Latin rite. Baptism actually brings us into the body of Christ. It's a physical reality, this experience of grace. And we become part of this life-giving trinity. The Holy Spirit is a special firmness uh, that we receive in the sacrament of confirmation. And we become the dwelling place of God. Remember the times we've talked about the glory cloud coming to the temple. Well, the glory cloud comes to each of us in the sacrament of baptism. God's presence in the temple that baptism has made of our bodies. And then the Eucharist, the third sacrament of initiation, where we become part of the body of Christ through a body, his body in, bread, in the form of bread and his blood in the form of wine. So for the Christian, the life of discipleship is having our minds and hearts formed by Scripture, having the totality of our being come into conformity with the presence of Christ. That is, that we become, in a renewed sense, the remade, image and likeness of God in the world through these three sacraments. And then it's the moral life is how we bring Christ and the Trinity into our daily actions. You know, in John's gospel, when, it, it, when he discusses the baptism of the Lord, he calls Jesus the Lamb of God. 
And I, in this introduction, I want to dwell on that for a moment because uh, Pope Benedict talked about it. And he talked about it in the context of evil. You know, there's two kinds of evil that need to be overcome. The one is physical evil. It's the horrible suffering in the world. But the other is moral evil, the evil that disfigures what a human being is. And you really can't take on the suffering in the world um, without a sense of being transformed into the love of God. And so in Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection, remember he lives a moral life. He lives a forgiving life from the crucifixion, and he lives the resurrected life. And so it's the crucifix, the death of our Lord and his resurrection, one event, the Paschal event, that overcomes the power of evil, whether it's this physical evil, which we overcome in the resurrection, or the moral evil, that through God's mercy and his compassion and our efforts to cooperate with God's grace, that we grow into the image of God and leave sin behind. It's this thing about evil that really is the dividing line between the church and the modern world. Uh, so many uh, secular and non-secular governments, I guess, want to take on evil in the way that they see it. But you know the key thing about evil is to look what Jesus did about evil and sin. And Pope Benedict, when he was uh, had the imposition of the pallium of the Holy Father, uh, that he received the fisherman's ring uh, at the beginning of his Petrine ministry on April 24, 2005. He gave a homily, and I want to quote part of it, because it, it's really very important to think about in terms of the Christian life and what our expectations are for the Christian life. So let me read this to you from his homily. The symbol of the Lamb has a deeper meaning. In the ancient Near East, it was customary for kings to style themselves shepherds of their people. This was an image of their power, a cynical image. To them, their subjects were like sheep, which the shepherd could dispose of as he wished. And when the shepherd of all humanity, the living God, himself became a lamb, he stood on the side of the lambs and with those who were downtrodden and killed. This is how he reveals himself to be the true shepherd. I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep, Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10. It is not power, but love that redeems us. This is God's sign. He himself is love. How often we wish that God would make sh and show himself stronger, that he would strike decisively defeating evil and creating a better world. All ideologies of power justify themselves in exactly this way. They justify the destruction of whatever would stand in the way of progress and the liberation of humanity. We suffer on account of God's patience, and yet we need his patience. God who became a lamb tells us that the world is saved by the crucified one not by those who crucified him. The world is redeemed by the patience of God. It's destroyed by the impatience of man. Well, think about that. Next time some grandiose plan is 
is pronounced by some great government about how it's going to liberate humanity and, and just think of all the things that have happened in American history. What Pope Benedict said was, that's just part of the ideology of power. It justifies whatever they want to do, and it's why we wage wars. We're going to make the world safe for, fill in whatever the blank is. Well, maybe we keep the world from getting worse than it has to be. But Pope Benedict's point is that the world is saved through the patience of God. We endure these things. So how does the shepherd care for us? How do we as lambs follow? The word, the watchword for Oro Valley Catholic this episode is patience. And so as we look at the scriptures and we think about the baptism of the Lord and the spiritual life of scripture, sacrament, and the moral life which I've described, let's take a moment and talk about why we need to be patient with God, patient with the world, and I think above all, patient with ourselves. Welcome to Oro Valley Catholic. This is Father John Arnold. And so the feast of the baptism of the Lord, which brings the Christmas season to an end, has a few selections that your parish can use. The two I'm going to talk about in this episode of Oro Valley Catholic is Isaiah 42 and Titus 2. We rarely talk about Titus. But let's talk about Isaiah 42. Here's what it says. Thus says the Lord, Here's my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one with whom I am pleased, upon whom I have put my spirit. He shall bring forth justice to the nations, not crying out, not shouting, not making his voice heard in the street. A bruised reed he shall not break, and a smoldering wick he shall not quench until he establishes justice on the earth. The coastlands will wait for his teaching. I, the Lord, have called you for the victory of justice. I have grasped you by the hand. I formed you and set you as a covenant of the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes of the blind, to bring out prisoners from confinement, and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. Let me go back over this for three important things. I suggest you meditate on this week. The first, it's Isaiah 42, one of the suffering servant songs. And these are seen as messianics, uh, messianic uh, writings. I said suffering servant songs, but the suffering servant appears in Isaiah. And so this is what the Messiah looks like as the Messiah works. He's not leading an army into battle, instead, he walks through the streets. He's filled with the Spirit of God. He's restoring justice to the people he meets. He's not crying out. He's not shouting. He's not making a commotion. When he deals with people, the bruised, he doesn't break. Those who are operating like smoldering, he's, he's not going to extinguish them. He takes the wounded. He takes the limp. And he takes them where he's at, where they're at. And then, why is he taking them? What's the goal of all this? That's the second part of Isaiah 42. He's called us for the victory of justice. Justice is right relationship with God, right relationship with each other. He takes us by the hand, personally, as in baptism, confirmation, and the sacrament of the Eucharist. 
How much closer and more physical could God be? He forms us, he sets us as a covenant of the people. We're there as a sign of God's covenant uh, for the people of the earth. He says we're a light for the nations. And the purpose of our lives as Christian is to open the eyes of the blind, give people some hope beyond what merely fills their belly or meets their desires immediately, to bring people out of the darkness in which they live because people can live in these little boxes that shut God out and from the dungeon those who live in darkness. Get change how people see their lives. So Isaiah's Messiah, Isaiah's Messiah is going to heal the wounded. Isaiah's Messiah is going to lift them up and give them this mission, which has been given to us. That's why we have to live in justice, why we have to show that the Christian life, especially the Christian moral life, is the way that opens us to the possibility of happiness. Titus 2 is uh, one of the other epistles from the New Testament, and it, it goes like this. It, this is the reading for this Sunday I chose. Beloved, the grace of God has appeared saving all and training us to reject godless ways and worldly desires and to live temperately, justly, and devoutly in this age as we await the blessed hope, the appearance of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to deliver us from all lawlessness and to cleanse for himself a people as his own, eager to do what is good. So think about this. Two things that are important about this part of the reading. First, did you see the reference to the importance of uh, virtue, temperance and justice, devoutness, it, devotion is a piety, which is an obligation of uh, our duties to, to one another. Um, and why is it that he calls us to this life of virtue? Because virtue, which was understood at that time, is the mean between extremes. Virtue is about an habitual disposition to live a life that's just and temperate and uh, courageous and uh, prudent, good decision-making. These are the cardinal virtues. And to live those lives, and especially temperance has been uh, referred to in Titus 2, um, that this is how it is that we evidence the kind of life that opens us to happiness and opens the eyes of others. Part of the virtue of temperance, of course, is patience, patient endurance. There's a great quote, I think it's from St. Peter Christologos, who was in uh, the priest's breviary. He says, when you're undergoing a fierce attack by Satan, he says, don't mount a fierce defense. Meet it with moderation. You know, it's part of the human dilemma, the human condition, to go from zero to 60, to be in the dark or living this unearthly aesthetic life. It's either white or it's black. The switch is either on or it's off. But moderation, temperance, and patient endurance is what slowly transforms us. Morally, I don't know anybody. I have a few friends I think are just naturally good. But morally, change comes slowly. It's because we engage and we have a plan for our lives. Do you have a plan for your life? Here's what I think the foundations 
of a sincere Catholic plan for life is. First, a love for Scripture. Sign up to get the daily readings from the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops. Just make it your discipline to read through the Scriptures with the church. There are some great online resources to open it up for people who, who just feel like they get bored in their prayer life. Well, try subscribing to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops email and the readings for every day will show up in your inbox. And did you know that there's a great podcast called Letters from Home? Letters from Home, it comes from the St. Paul Center. So that would be John Bergsma and uh, Dr. Scott Hans. I, I guess Dr. Bergsma is a doctor too. But golly, I use that every day. What a terrific way to help you meditate on scriptures. So you'd read the scriptures along with Dr. Hahn or Dr. Bergsma or any of the others conducting this meditation. It's, it's 10 minutes, maybe it's 12 minutes occasionally. At the end of which, all you do is you sit there and you think, what am I taking out of this today? That anybody could do. And I look forward to it every day. So living with scripture, maybe make a resolution this year to as you listen to Oral Valley Catholic, go to the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, sign up for their daily scriptural readings podcast. I mean, there's uh, email, it's an email. And then just go to your favorite podcast uh, provider and look for Letters from Home. And give it 30 days, just try it for 30 days. It's 10 minutes out of your life. And I think the beauty of scripture will enter into your life. Here's the second thing, um, the devout practice of the sacraments. I think if you're listening to Oral Valley Catholic, you try hard uh, to live uh, by going to at least Sunday Mass um, and to remember your baptismal promises and the gifts and to develop the gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, at least participating in Mass. And I think it's a good practice to at least make a monthly confession or a quarterly confession. Why? Because it makes the sacraments part of the discipline of your life. Discipleship requires discipline. And I know different people give different advice. You may already go to daily mass. You may already have a, a much more stringent approach to your sacramental life. But if not, what I urge you to do is to come up with a discipline and gonna say is I'm gonna make Sunday mass. If I can't be there because of COVID or whatever reason, I'm gonna to try to participate online so that this communal life around the Eucharist and the scriptures are part of at least my weekly life. And then make the resolution to make the sacrament of reconciliation a disciplined part of your life. Quit thinking about going to the sacrament because you think you committed a mortal sin. If you committed a mortal sin, you're probably not at all interested in the sacraments. But to make a discipline that says monthly or quarterly, um, I think that these are very healthy disciplines. I discourage people, my personal advice, from week, the weekly reception of confession because I think that it can just become part of the ritual of chronic sin. If you go to weekly confessions and you end up confessing the same thing over and over again, maybe you need to change the discipline because slowly you should be changing in Christ. And then the devout life. 
And what's the devout life? Well, we've already talked about prayer with Scripture. We've already talked about sacraments. But a focused attempt to develop virtue in your life, to be just with God and just with one another, uh, to live a life that you try to make good judgments, prudence, about the things of this world and the world to come, that you endure with courage, which is patient endurance, and intemperance, which is you learn how to moderate your appetites. These are uh, personal in the sense the virtues are how you live them in your life. A celibate Catholic priest may live them differently than a married person or a, or a single person. But to try to develop virtue in your life um, is something positive you can do to live at peace, patiently and justly with God. You know, we're all fallen creatures. And that the idea that you're going to never have any sin in your life, well, maybe you will be some grace creature like our blessed lady. But on the off chance that you're more like Father John Arnold, maybe you change your focus to developing virtue in your life and at the same time uh, repenting of sin, recognizing that it has some claim over you. Remember that, that quote that I gave you about, meet the fierce attack of Satan with moderation. Well, this is the virtuous life, which is always the moderate in between extremes of, for instance, courage. The extremes are vainglory, you're throwing your life away. The other extreme is cowardice. Courage is, and cur patient courage is, doing what you can to stay in that life that you have chosen. Uh, if it admits the perfections, maybe in the life to come. Uh, we can experience perfection in this life, but you know, if my experience as a Catholic priest listening to confessions and my own experience of seriously trying to live this life uh, is any guide at all, uh, it's always a work in progress. That's why, if you read through any of the four Gospels, have you noticed the disciples are always walking with Jesus down the road, and even as they talk about their later life, St. Paul's a great example. They're always struggling both with this thorn of sin and also trying to live the virtuous life in a way that brings healing to the communities uh, that they're part of. So this is where I think we Catholics in our life of scripture, sacrament, and the development of virtue have something to think about in the new year. And so let's bring all this to a conclusion. So why do all four Gospels begin with the baptism of the Lord? And it's very clear. Overcoming sin, this is what baptism does, and that's what John the Baptist talked about. But also entering into the life of grace, being baptized with fire and the Holy Spirit. This is what the Christian life uh, brings to the world. You know, I loved that inaugural homily by Pope Benedict. Uh, listen to this part again. 
how often we wish that God would show himself stronger, that he would strike decisively, defeating evil and creating a better world. Remember, that's the temptation of the Lord at the beginning of the Gospels. Waiting for his answer, we can grow impatient because the lie is that you can force the kingdom of God onto people. The truth is we can only accept into our lives what Jesus started. Why? Think of the problem of sin. Sin is our human proclivity to turn in on ourselves, to use our bodies, to use our minds, to use the goods that we have uh, without reference to God. We can sin because we're ignorant. We just don't know what, what to do. And that affects all of us probably to a greater or lesser degree. Weakness, clearly this is in the heart of, uh, of human beings. And we just have to patiently accept that we're weak. What we need to avoid is maliciousness. The idea that we're gonna use our lives for self-destruction and the destruction of others and the rejection of God. And mostly with Catholics, I'd say we struggle with ignorance or weakness. Malice, that's scary. That's where mortal sin comes in. And what is really the hallmark of sin, whether it's ignorance or it's weakness or it's malice? Well, St. Augustine says that it affects the choices we make. That is our will. And so ignorance, what we lack is understanding. Weakness, what we lack is strength. Malice, what we lack is a relationship with the God that is love. We live in a dark, self-hating world. So evil for St. Augustine is a privation. There's nothing where something should be. That is, everything that God made, he called good. So he did not make evil. So St. Augustine's reasoning is, if God didn't make anything evil, not even Satan or me, then Evil must be the lack of good in me. It's the difference between a rightly ordered life, justly ordered toward God, the good of others, and the good of creation, or a disordered life, a life that is just ordered towards what my uh, impure desires might be. So to see that the spiritual life built around scripture, the sacraments, and this development of the life of, uh, of the moral life of virtue is trying to accept what gift that God is giving us, which makes us a person, makes us someone where someone should be, the image and likeness of God. But at the heart of it, if you take uh, seriously Pope Benedict's inaugural homily, is our need for patience with God and with one another, and uh, especially with ourselves. We live in a culture which loves grandiose plans. It's going to solve all problems, as if you could bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. But Pope Benedict says that's always the guise of power. And so we know that sometimes these big plans have stuck in them, um, the, the terries, right? The wheat and the terries. There may be good in them, but there's also the weeds that undermine us. You know, Scripture is really very keen, the New Testament and the Old, but especially the New Testament, on the developments of virtue. Here's a couple of examples, from one from 2 Peter chapter 15, verse 7. For this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, 
self-control with endurance, endurance with devotion. Isn't that a great line? But it also says how it is that the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love lift up these, uh, these efforts that we make to develop the infused virtues, the acquired virtues, I should say, of justice, moderation, uh, courage, and uh, temperance. And so St. Paul in Galatians chapter 5 says, in contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such the, of these gifts there is no law. Uh, lawlessness is when you have no discipline for your life, like the discipline I've described. But it's order for a goal of acquiring peace and patience, generosity and kindness. These are the signs of virtue in our life. You know, St. Francis de Sales, who has the reputation of being the great saint maker, he said in his introduction to the devout life, be patient with everyone, but above all, with yourself. I mean, do not be disheartened by your imperfections, but always rise up with fresh courage. All profitable correction comes from a calm and peaceful mind. In short, don't get too discouraged. Don't overreact. Um, accept your true situation in your life, that God is doing something to transform your life through scripture, sacrament, and the moral life. You know, my brother told me a story. He said that a friend of his, and this is apparently a true story, went in to see his doctor. He's an older guy. And the doctor did his physical exam, did all the tests. And then he said, you know, if you're a house, I have to say, let's just tear it down and rebuild it. Uh, that's maybe not the message you want to hear from your doctor. But this is the reality of the spiritual life. We're all rebuild jobs. And that's why it is that we live this patient life where our souls are formed in the image and likeness of God. Death tears us down. God himself rebuilds us. We need more than a tweak, more than a couple superficial changes. What we need to rebuild, that's gonna take some time, but the master has a plan, so be patient. This is Oral Valley Catholic, and until our next episode, this has been Father John Arnold.